Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Again and again and again, we are nourished, Lord. We love sausage and egg biscuits, but, um, but we are nourished by your, your Word. And so we thank You, Lord, for um, the, just the fact that we can open it up anytime and that You will speak to us. And we pray now, Lord, as we come to Your Word, these uh, majestic, miraculous passages that you, would, uh, that you would speak to us and let us know how they speak to us today. How do they inform our walk with you? We ask this through Christ our Lord. Uh, amen. If you are one who uh, sees from the e-news what passage we're going to do, uh, it said, it said Matthew, 22, uh, Matthew 14, verses 22 to 32, and Luke 9. And you might have read that and thought, well, we did Luke 9 last week. That was my error. It was not. Uh, it was uh, they. They told. They put in the in the e news what I told them, but it should be John nine. So, John nine, not Luke nine. Nevertheless, we have two miraculous events. We have uh, in Matthew we have Jesus walking on the water, and John in John we have Jesus giving sight to a man who was born blind. Now, obviously, the um, he gives sight to a lot of blind people, but. Um, Typically, it seems as if this, this is unique because they make a distinction. This, this man was born blind, meaning the others probably had cataracts or they had you know, some, some viral disease or something that had caused them to go blind. But he was born without cones and rods and things that um, either without them altogether or without um, uh, eyes that worked. And Jesus gave sight to a man who was born blind. So when we are um, reading miracles. It is really good to pay attention to the miracle. I mean, there is, um, there's a lot of value in seeing what it is that Jesus does. And yet also, and probably even more importantly, is to pay attention to the character of Christ in that miracle. Um, I, I do believe in the miraculous. I, I really do. I've, I feel like I've seen it. You know, it, um, it never, it never has um, orchestral music behind it. It just, it just happens, you know, and it kind of seems natural. And you turn back and you think, wait a second, how did that happen? Um, whether it is uh, God's provision uh, financially or whether it is uh, even a, a healing, someone gets better. I used to have a, a, a priest friend who would, you know, said the, be- the, most, uh, the best way to heal anybody was to give them last rites. Um, they would. Uh, they, there were several people around Birmingham that um, that had been given last rites and were out on the golf course. So, um, but you know, it's unlikely that you're going to be called out on the St. John's River to to walk out there uh, on the river itself. Maybe uh, you'll be out on the boat on a beautiful day, but but you're not walking on the water. Uh, more than likely, I would say that is highly uh, unlikely. You probably have a better chance of. Um, winning the lottery four times. So, um, and then, um, and then it's unlikely that Jesus is going to heal your blindness. I don't look around and see a lot of people in here who are blind. So uh, maybe you've got glasses, but that, that doesn't count. So, um, what what is um, certain, however, is that you are going to need the character of Christ that we see in these passages. And so, I'm not discounting or downplaying the miraculous nature of what Jesus did at all. And I hope for you, when you need a miracle, that He gives it to you. If He doesn't, you can be sure that it is because you need to lean into the character that we see here. So, Matthew, Mark, and John. 
all have the account of Jesus walking on the water. And of course, there's no reason, no, no reason we know of that, that Luke left it out particularly. Um, but three of the four Gospels have Jesus walking on the water. It is always, in all three accounts, right after the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, all four Gospels have the feeding of the 5,000. But uh, Luke does not follow it with the walking on water, but the rest do. But only Matthew tells us about Peter, and that Peter also uh, walked on water. Now, we talk a lot about walking on water uh, as someone, we, uh, when we say, uh, we, I thought he walked on water, or I thought she walked on water. If we talk about somebody who is, um, it ha- has some sort of greatness about them, uh, so, sort of exaltation, we typically mean it tongue-in-cheek, although... Uh, the first time I ever preached at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, I, um, I, I preached on this passage. Uh, Jesus uh, walking on water and calling Peter out onto the water. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, 20 minutes about walking on water and not one mention of Bear Bryant? Uh, <laughs> where the hell am I? All right. Um, the, um, I don't think I actually said that out loud. All right. Uh, the, um, well, we are, uh, we are in Matthew 14, and we're talking about Jesus walking on water. Again, it, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And, um, and, and at least, maybe it's men, uh, 5,000 men plus women and children, so five to fifteen or twenty thousand people. We don't know exactly. But um, but what hap- what happens is that Jesus sends the disciples off immediately after the meal. They pick up the baskets of of uh, bread, twelve baskets of bread, more bread than they left uh, than they started with, and sends them off in the boat on the lake. And then he dismisses the crowds. We're not told what he says to them. Uh, but he dismisses the crowds himself. Let me read this uh, passage uh, because well, we, we start out seeing Jesus in prayer, and that's really that's, that's important to note of, and then we'll talk about uh, what comes next. So immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side where he, while he dismissed the crowds, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, it's like between three and six o'clock in the morning, the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come on. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, and saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. Now, again, it starts off, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And in fact, before that, He had just found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And He was going to take the the disciples off for a little retreat. And then, the, the, remember, the 5,000 found Him, so He had compassion on them and taught them. But He just, just needs to feed His introvert, right? He just needs some, some time with His dad. And so He just wants to spend that time with the Lord and, um, and with His Father. And so He goes up and prays. And, and if you are to emulate, if we are to emulate Jesus and His actions, we will first be people of prayer. And I've told you many times before that I find prayer very difficult. Uh, I'm not one uh, who spends hours and hours in prayer. I try to read the Bible prayerfully. I've gotten away from journaling. I need to get back to that, honestly. Uh, I pray in in fits and starts. And I do pray uh, in, you know, for an extended time most most days. But I... It it seems... It doesn't... It doesn't... I don't know about you, but uh, what your prayer life is like. It seems... Um, like there could be more for me a lot of time, most of the time. Sometimes it is ecstatic, but that's few and far between. So I'm praying about my day. I'm praying about for my staff and my vestry. I'm praying for all of you, and I'm praying. Um, I'm praying that God moves in our church and and moves in my family, and, and then I it's time to go to work. So um, it's pretty boring, really. Uh, and I don't mean I'm bored by it. I just mean there's it's nothing really spectacular about it. And this doesn't, we're not given any detail like we are like in John 17 where we're given all the detail of Jesus just pouring out His heart uh, to the Father. We are, um, we are, I mean, it's just, it just feels like I'm whistling in the wind sometimes in my, my prayers. Um, but, um, so Jesus finishes his prayers, and he prays all. This is not unusual for for Jesus. He prays all night long, and um, you know maybe he got caught some some shut eye in the middle there. But he, that's pretty smart, actually. You can count uh, sleep as prayer. I, I'm I, I'm gonna have to think about that. But um, but anyway, so we in the between three and six a.m. So we can just imagine. It's just over the um, the light is just beginning to come up. There's just I mean there's just gray. You can take you can make out a little bit the um, the distinction between the water and the sky, but not much. And it does not say anywhere that at the, up to this point that the disciples are afraid. Um, they I cannot imagine the exhaustion that must coming that it must come from rowing against the wind, buffeted uh, in the choppy water across the Sea of Galilee for um, all night long. And that seems like an, an, a whole other kind of superhumanity or something. I, it, it's just amazing to me. But it says nothing about them being afraid. And, uh, I mean, these were fishermen. They grew up here. They, they, they knew what this was like. They knew how to do this. They had done this before. Their hands were seriously calloused. They, they were rowing all night long. Maybe they're taking shifts. I don't know. But it doesn't say anything about them being afraid until they see a guy walking out on the water and they do exactly what you and I would do. They, they go, ah! <laughs> I mean, can you imagine what? <laughs> can you, you imagine walking out? That, that's, yes, that's exactly. So I, I can't, 
even begin to get my head around. They've been doing this all their life. They, they, and all of us, they're not afraid of the storm or the wind. And then they see a guy walking out on the waves. So obviously they say it's a ghost. I mean, what else would it be? You know, like I mean, that's there's no other category that you have mentally for that. My question is, why would Jesus walk on the water? To get to the other side. <laughs> Dummy. Yeah. Tom, Tom said because he could. But listen, so you, you imagine him walking across the, the water on this sort of pristine, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, smooth as glass or whatever. But I mean, he's walking across and it's choppy as anything. The only thing I can think is it was fun, right? I mean, it was, it, he was catching air out on the waves or something. He was, he was, I, how else could it be? He's, I mean, it would have been so difficult for him unless he's just float. I mean, may, maybe he's floating above it, but if he's actually walking on the water, I guess it could part for him just in that spot, but it just seems, it's choppy. I was out on the water yesterday, it was choppy, and it was all I could do and had a boat, you know, like it was just, um, so I, I can't imagine how hard it would be, your, your, even if you had footing on the water, how hard it would be with it moving all over the place. Well, you're not God. Well, I'm not God, and thanks be to God. That's right. That's right. But, so I just, you know, I don't know why he walked on the water. Maybe it was to prove to himself, I mean, to prove to them that, um, that, that he was God in that sense. But, um... But nevertheless, they are terrified at that point. They weren't uh, scared. They're, now, we do see storms that they're scared of. right? They're bailing out the water, and Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they're terrified they're going to drown. But not this one. And Jesus says something to them that would have been so amazing. He says, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, if you look at this in the Greek, there's only five words in the Greek. Take heart is one word. It means like take courage. Or actually the King James says, be of good cheer. <laughs> cheer up. <laughs> take courage. It, it is, um, it is a, a, a summons to, uh, well, to boldness. Do not be afraid. Um, fear not. That's, you know, that's the most common command in all of Scripture. Fear not. So you have two imperative statements, two commands. Take courage. Don't be afraid. But in the middle you have, it is I. It's an indicative statement. It's not a command. And actually, in the Greek, the Greek is ego eimi, which is I am. Take heart. I am. Fear not. Now, that is just the way you say, hey, it's me. That's just that's how you do it. But I think Matthew, and certainly John, uh, would place this here intentionally. For this statement uh, is the anchor by which the other two statements make sense because it would have thundered back across the ages to the burning bush where Moses is saying, I don't want to go to Egypt. I don't want to go to Egypt. And he says, um, and he says who am I going to say sent me? He says, I am. Tell him, I am sent you. I am that I am. So Jesus says, I am. And remember, the whole thing ends with worship. They got the message. And I guess so. He's walking 
on the water. But it wouldn't make any sense to take courage or to fear not if it weren't for that middle statement of who Jesus is. That's the anchor for them and for us. For me to say to you, hey, take courage, it's going to get better. Maybe, if God is with you, right? God is with you. I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through. I know some of the people in our parish are going through. And it's really hard stuff. How could I possibly say to them, take courage, without saying, God is with you? Because, of course, God has promised to be with you. Well, they, who knows what they were thinking when all of a sudden they hear Jesus' voice coming across. Could they have possibly thought, still at this point, thought this wasn't a ghost? What happened after we left the feeding of the 5,000? Did somebody kill him and he came out? I mean, what happened? That wouldn't have been unusual, marauders or whatever. Um, Peter answers him. Impetuous Peter. Just um, impulsive faith-filled Peter. And I've always thought this is a very strange request. Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. As if a demon would go, you know what, it's not, I'm not actually Jesus, so just stay in the boat. <laughs> a demon would, or the ghost would be like, come on, boop, you know, right down. So, uh, so um, I just think that's such an interesting, naive is not the right word, just, I mean, Peter is filled with faith. And we see him begin to sink, and we can kind of criticize him for that a little bit. Let's just remember, he it remains the, only, the one of two people in history we know of who have walked on water, right? So, uh, yeah, I, don't know, I never read the book, but it was a great title by um, Ortberg, John Ortberg. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. It's a pretty, you know, I imagine he's talking about taking initiative and, and, and faith-filled initiative like this, but... If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. So Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on water. I, how cool would that be? That is just so awesome. And so he um, he comes to Jesus, and then he takes his eyes off of Jesus. So it seems he's like holding on to Jesus, or he's right there with Jesus. But then he says he looks at the wind, and he was filled with doubt. How does it say it exactly? He saw the wind. He was afraid. And I don't know, again, I don't know about you, but I just see this is my life, man. I'm with Jesus, and I'm not with Jesus. At the same, you know, I'm with Jesus, but I take my eyes off of Him. I, I'm, I come here, I put my collar on, I come to work, and I just have anxiety. You know, I just, um, or I go home, I take my collar off, but I still have anxiety. Whatever it is, it, it is, um, I'm with Jesus, and I, take, I look at the wind. And... Um, and, and, you know, I look at my, my finances or I look at my um, child's schoolwork and I can't do algebra for crying out loud. Or I look at my, um, you know, whatever it is. I look at my, um, you know, you might look at your, your parents' health or you look at uh, your children's lives or whatever it is. We're with Jesus, but we're looking at the wind. And we begin to sink. So when have you ever tried to walk on water and just begun to sink? Right? The laws of physics say, you're, you're splashing down. It's, just, it's, like, it's almost like Peter is being lowered into the water by his doubts. And that's when he looks back to Jesus and says, Lord, save me. 
I've prayed about a lot of things in my life that God would take them away from me. Um, anger. I don't like to be angry. I don't like to hurt other people when I'm angry, my family especially. I'll tell you one of the reasons I know I need a Savior, I know the Lord need, know I need the Lord to save me. Anger. I'm not a really angry person, but I, you know, it's enough that I want God to take it from me. Um, irritability or, or just, you know, impulsiveness, lack of discipline, whatever, anything that you want different about yourself, that's a great way for you to know that you need Jesus. In fact, those things can be real gifts. Real gifts to you. Not that you shouldn't work on them. But if you, if you lick that one, there'll be something else. But, and so here, I was at, when I was praying about this, here, um, I said, Lord, what do you want your people to know? And, and I do that a lot, but I don't always get it just so quick and so clear. When I, I asked the Lord, what do you want your people to know about this passage for this class? I just felt so clearly, I heard the words, I've got you. I've got you. So when we're beginning to sink in our doubt, and we call out, Lord, save me, whether, whether we spring from the water again and jump into the boat, or whether we are up to our neck or up to our eyeballs or over our head, uh, the Lord says, I've got you. And that's really the character of Christ that I want us to see in this passage, and that is that He has you. Even when we begin to sink, not that He... I mean, it's important for you to know that He can... He's Lord over the laws of physics and He can walk on the water or do whatever He wants. But He's got you. That's His character. This is promise. Whatever you're going through, however you feel overwhelmed, He's got you. So, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. But out of the boat is where you see the Lord has you. So I encourage you, there's something you'd like to do, but you're afraid to do it, and you feel like you have the Lord's green light to do it, go, man, go. He's got you. And you'll probably sink a little bit, because it's going to be windy. But go. He's got you. So, the character of Christ, not that He has the mirac- not only that He has the miraculous power of walking on water, but He has the power to catch us out of our doubt. Alright, so we've got just a little bit of time, and we're going to talk about John chapter 9. This is a long passage. I'm not going to read it to you all. Uh, it is the, the man born blind that Jesus heals. He's passing by. He sees a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it is not clear uh, from this passage how they looked at this man and knew that he was born blind. Maybe there's a disfigurement or or uh, something like that, but um, I mean, he's not like he had a sign around his neck and born this way. You know, I don't, I don't know. But, but he, um, but Jesus said it wasn't. So um, that what's what's the question? If there is some sort of hardship going on, uh, who who did what to get punished this way? He was born this way. So did he sin in the womb and get punished, or did his parents? sin, and therefore his blindness is punishment for their sin. This, this is the mentality that says that if you are suffering hardship, it is because God is out to get you because you did something bad. Right? Still a, a, a mentality that follows us around today. Uh, we, 
Trent talked about it when he talked about the, um, the passage from Luke. I think it's Luke um, 8, I think. The Tower of Siloam falling on the people, the, the blood mingled with the, um, uh, the sacrifices, and that was the repent or perish sermon that Trent was mad, not mad at me for making him preach, but um, but um, I got the prodigal son next, next the following week. It was just uh, happened that way. Um, the um, it was a tough passage to preach, but he, Jesus was was um, was battling that same mentality. When people are asking, well, what what sin must they have committed that God would let them suffer like that? God is out to get them. And Jesus says, nobody's sinned. Number one, he didn't say this like this, but you live in a fallen world. Things happen. I mean, that's just, that's just things happen. He doesn't, Jesus hasn't come to, walk, uh, to keep us out of the valley of the shadow of death. He's come to walk us through it. I wish he, wa- I wish he kept us out of it. Be, you know, that, that's heaven. We're not in heaven yet. We're in the valley. He's going to walk you through. Things happen. But he says, actually, we want to see the work of God might be displayed in Him. He says, we must work the work of Him who sent me while it is day. That means while Jesus is there. Night is coming when no one can work. No one can do the works of Jesus. But as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, there's another one of those I am statements. Ego eimi in Greek. Um, John has seven of these. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. So, he has seven of these. And, again, it is a statement, uh, each one, and we can, all, all scholars across, of any stripe, understand that, that John, in, his, in the sevenness of, of, that's a special number, that he is making those statements to reverberate back uh, to Moses and to the divinity, uh, I am that I am. Um, so he heals the guy, and then what we see is that G- the reaction to the light is all over the place. That's what this whole passage is about. So if you remember this story, and again, I'm not going to go all the way through it. The man gets healed. Jesus says, um, says go on your way, go wash at the pool of Siloam. People are like, wait a second, isn't that the guy that, that used to be blind? He says, yeah, I'm he. And they know no, you're, you're not him because that guy was blind. And, um, and they say, so then the temple officials come and they say, how did it happen? And he says, just Jesus did it. And of course, temple officials don't like that. And then they get his parents. He said, well, yeah, we, I mean, we know he's blind and now he can see, but we don't know how. Ask him. He's of age because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue for saying that they were Jesus. And it's just amazing to see this whole sort of round and round that goes because the light shines in the darkness. Now, John's always talking about light shining in the darkness. Remember, he starts his gospel that way. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. Um, he talks about light and darkness in, in the letters of John as well. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's the whole passage. So, again, not so much, not as much that he can heal the blind, which, of course, is wonderful and powerful. You know, incidentally, we're coming up on Easter. Jesus said he was going to die and on the third day he would rise again. And he did. A resurrected Savior makes all of these other things fall into place. I mean, of course he can walk on water. Of course he can heal the blind. He rose from the dead. Like, 
if he was just a, a miracle man, I mean, that's kind of, I don't know, NBC miniseries or something like that. I mean, it's, you know, Stranger Things on Netflix, whatever. But, but, um, but if he rose from the dead, all the other stuff makes sense. Of course he restored sight. Uh, of course he uh, raised a kid from the dead who died uh, before their time. Uh, he's the Lord of resurrection. He's the Lord of restoration. So, um, but anyway, so he gives this, he gives this man uh, his sight. And he says, um, he says, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because the people are pressing in on him. The, the Pharisees are pressing in on him. He says, um, I, I don't know who, who he was. I was blind. I, I'd never seen him before. You know? And, um, and I, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. So, of course, John Newton. This is where John Newton is. Of course, I was lost, but I was found. That's from the uh, parable of the, of the good, um, I mean, the um, prodigal son. My son was lost and now is found. The sheep, the coins, all John, uh, Luke 15. But um, here, this is where John Newton gets it. Um, I was blind, but now I see. This is I don't. That's all I know. He has a testimony. Jesus, I didn't. I wouldn't even ask him for him. The disciple. I heard somebody talking about me. All of a sudden, he told, puts <laughs> spit on the ground and rubs it in my eyes and tells me to go uh, wash at the pool, and I could see. And, and so he gets kicked out of the synagogue because they don't want to hear it. And Jesus fi- finds him. So verse 35, Jesus heard they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So both of our passages end with worship. The disciples, when Peter got and Jesus got in the boat, they worshipped him. Who is this? We don't know, but he's worthy of our worship. And the blind man who now can see, he's not, you know, he's never named, but we see that he is faithful. Who is he that I may believe in him? Because whatever, whatever you've done for me, Jesus, I'm following you. So you tell me to believe, I'm going to believe. He said, believe in me. Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So the character of Christ here is that Jesus has come to bring light to the darkness. Come that we may see who he is. In all the ways that we are blind. And we are. I mean, we, got, we all got blind spots. And so, Jesus has come to shed light and to give vision uh, to us so that we may see who He is. Um, so when we are uh, walking in the darkness, uh, are we going to be more like the Pharisees, skeptical, or the parents, sloughing it off? Are we going to be the man who is given light in the darkness? Uh, yes, Lord, I believe. And He worshiped Him. Probably at some point we'll be all of those in our lives. The life of the disciple, the life of the Christian, is to repent of the times where we are not like the man. Um, we are like the Pharisees or we are like the parents. But to give ourselves repeatedly to the one who has given us vision. He's the light of the world. 
Incidentally, of course, in Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. So he's the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. How can that be? Well, you are the light of the world because he's the light of the world, and you're in him. And it's him shining through you. So that's what I have to say about those. Let's uh, open it up for some comments or questions. Incidentally, I have been asked a couple of times by numerous people to, to repeat what you say because they can't hear it on here. So I'm going to do that. So if you have a question or a comment, I'll just, I'm going to I'm going to repeat it, whether it bears repeating or not. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was ugly. All right, yes, ma'am, Jill. I, I think it really just needs to be repeated. Peter was bold. Mm-hmm. Peter had foolishness in his boldness. Often you, you couldn't find that word. I can't find it either. Um, we almost think he's obvious, naive, trusting. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really great story to carry in your pocket with you, is mm. that if you think he's calling you, step out on the water. Mm. If you fall, he will catch you. Yes. It's like, it's too simple. Yes. It's simple because it's a good Peter story. Yeah. Peter okay. is so human. So Jill said it's just, uh, Peter is full of uh, faith and uh, it was it's so obvious we have to step out of the boat. Uh, so he was full of courage, even though he was impetuous and oblivious and uh, and a mess. He's so he's so human, and he. We love Peter. Well, yeah. Step out of the boat. Yes. I see greatness in Peter. Greatness in Peter. Yes. And Jesus talked about that almost from the beginning. This is the rock upon which I will build my church. As stupid as he was sometimes, and as foolish, as impetuous, and just lacking in knowledge, he was only a. So Darla's just saying that we um, that Peter was full of faith, and, and it's just it is it's a step by step process. Whatever water God is calling us out onto, uh, you know, it it strikes me as funny that the last guy you expect to step out on the water is the guy whose nickname is Rock, yeah, right? You know, like he, <laughs> but but nevertheless he jumped out, and he is courageous, and he is uh, oblivious and naive, but he he is a wonderful example of of 
discipleship uh, for us. Last thing, Katie. Yeah, it was interesting to me that Jesus picked this time in, in John that he didn't just heal the blind men by a spoken word or by a simple laying on of hands. Mm -hmm. There was a process which included action on the part of the blind man. And I think that's helpful to us, especially in times of illness, that Jesus heals, but there are things that we can do to help. Sure. So Katie said that there's... um in this particular story, there are um, Jesus heals, but there is a process that the man has to follow. If he didn't go to the pool of Siloam, he wouldn't have gotten uh, healed. And you know, it's interesting. Jesus never he heals several blind people, but he never does it the same way twice. And, and so, uh, yes, there are times. And I do think. I mean, I think you're right. I think we've got to we still got to go to the doctor. You know, I mean, there's there's a process. Jesus is the one who heals, but um, but he can do it however he wants. And I think there's, as much as anything, the guy wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus just found him. You know, pretty great. Lots to say about these two passages. We are off next week for Easter. Uh, we'll be back uh, the following week, and, um, and we will pick back up. So I uh, hope that you will join us then. Have a wonderful and very holy, holy week. We'll see you on Thursday night at 630.